Hello, Nathan. Hello, Trevor. How's it going, my old boy? You right? I'm all right, mate. How are you, bruv? I'm not too bad, Nathan. Not too bad. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk About Movies podcast. And today, we need to talk about the 2019 DC Comics spin-off, Joker, starring Queen Phoenix and directed by Todd Phillips. Isn't it, Nathan? Yes, it is. Yeah, Todd Phillips. Yeah. Yeah, so we thought we'd done, last week we'd done Supergirl, and that was like the different end of the scale there for DC Comics spin-offs, isn't it, Nave? Well, I mean, you know, the, the two films are comparable, in a way. They're both spin-offs off of major DC comic Warner Brothers heroes. Yeah. Superheroes. And um, they both have people in it. Yeah. Award winners. They've both got award winners in yeah, it. Yeah, and, and there's... Uh, there's scenes and dialogue in both of them. <laughs> yes, th- that's true. So this one, the Joker, obviously focusing on the villain of the piece. So that's what I put to our listeners this week, Nath, on no from the right. Facebook page. I said, tonight we discuss a villain of cinema. I didn't tell him who. I keep them guessing, you know. And then I said, drop your favourite film villains below to get a mention. See, I'm touting for mentions and listens Nath. see what i'm doing here yeah 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 love it i i have to say on the topic of favorite villains in in uh films fil- villains in films yep yeah one of my favorites uh was actually another role by whacking phoenix okay let me guess <laughs> commodus it, gladiator it was yeah yeah that's the same as Keith Chapman has said that. Oh, has he? He said, "Yeah, he said, Raquin Phoenix playing Commodus in Gladiator is an absolute bastard." But there's loads of others to pick from. But he's the first to come to mind. So yeah, he is a he's a good bastard in that, isn't he? He does play a good bastard. Ingrid Laura Fox Fife said, "Hans Lander, perfect villain from um, Inglorious Bastards." Yes, yeah. Uh, Dean Harvey said. Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber. Mm. You know that villain? Yeah, I know Hans Gruber. He, oh, he's, he's a good villain. He fell out of the Nagatami Plaza, didn't he? He did, yeah. So that was um, Alan Rickman's first film as well, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. And I thought he was a good villain. I do love Die Hard. He wasn't a bad villain in Prince of Thieves. No, as uh, Prince... Who was he? He was uh, Sheriff of Nottingham, wasn't he? Yes, he was, yeah. Yep. Simon Viles said Maximilian from The Black Hole. I got it confused. I thought that was the bloke. Because I remember that Black Hole had the chap out of Airwolf in it with the big eyebrows. But Maximilian is like a Disney Black Hole, the Disney film, The Black Hole. Maximilian is the red robot with propellers for hands or something. Can't remember. I've not seen that since I was about six. What about Brick Brickface from Snatch? Are you reading these now, Nafe, are you? No. Because, uh, yeah, Chris Jeremy is the very next one. It says, Alan Ford as Bricktop in Snatch. Oh, Bricktop. Yeah, that's the yeah. one. Brickface. Bricktop. Brickface. That was uh, Dick Tracy, wasn't it? Brickface. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Bowker says Heath Ledger as the Joker. Oh, he almost got it right, Nafe, didn't he? Yeah. Now, I got... A, well, we could talk about that in a minute, but... I did get to thinking about Heath Ledger, actually, when I was watching this film. Yeah, I'm sure it, it will come up. And uh, Paul Brown, last but definitely not least, says um, Sergeant Barnes from Platoon. You seen Platoon? 
Uh, I think I've seen bits of it. I don't think I've seen the whole film. Tom Berenger's character. Platoon is a classic, mate. Classic war film. Is that Charlie Sheen? Charlie Sheen, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Oliver Stone film. And it's based on Oliver Stone's own experiences in Vietnam. Right. It's really good. And um, really interesting how they made it as well. They all had to go through platoon training. And then they filmed the film in order. So, as people were dying... There was like leaving the the platoon, right? Yeah. So it's like a real, yeah, real experience making that film. It just looked looked great, and it, I think it comes across in the film. So that's what we uh, people were talking about over there, Nath. Well, that's good of a minute. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? It's a bit of feedback, getting a bit so, of interaction. Yeah, thanks everyone for doing that. That's on the Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash we need to talk about movies podcast. So if you haven't already, you're listening to this, get over there, give it a like, give us a follow, and then you can keep up to date with our little questions and another tap that we put up there. But also now we've got an email, which is WN we need, but don't say we need, it's just WN, WN movie talk at gmail.com. And, and we've had an email this week. Yes. Uh, it's from a chap called Leighton, and he showed us a rather fetching tattoo of, if you're into tattoos, of Pan's Labyrinth, the pale man in Pan's Labyrinth. He's got it tattooed on his arm. Oh, wow. So I've shared that on the Facebook page as well, in case anyone would like to go and have a look at that. Cool. I'll have to have a look at it. I mean, if it's a, I mean, it's a good image as a tattoo, I'd imagine. So that was our correspondence for the week. So then, before we get into talking about Joker, yeah, because we will get into talking about Joker, won't we, Nate? We always do, don't we? Eventually, yeah, we always eventually, <laughs> in a roundabout way, get back to the topic that instigated the conversation in the first place. So I always get to this point, and then I ask you, "Have you seen any films this week, Nate?" I have seen films this week. I've seen three films this week. Three, uh, yeah. One of them was the Joker. Yeah. We could, we'll talk about that in a bit, if you like. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I, you know what? I feel it's a film that's worthy of a bit of a chat, so we could do that. Cool. Um, but, yeah, other films that I've watched include Red Tails, which I spoke to you about the other day. Oh, yeah, Red Tails. That's the uh, World War Two plane ones. Yeah, the Tuskegee Airmen. I think I'm saying that right. I could not be saying that right, and I don't want to cause offence by my inaccuracies. <laughs> so maybe um, – anyway, it's uh, – it's a great, it is a good film. It's a great spectacle. Uh, George Lucas is involved in it, which is probably added to the uh, visual effects. You know, if you like real high-paced aerial dogfights that are sort of just so crisp, so crisp. It's, um, yeah, it's nice to watch. Uh, so I watched that, enjoyed that. I have seen it a couple of times before. Yeah. And then I also watched... The Men Who Stare at Goats. Mm. I've not watched that for a long time. It is a good film. And there's, you know, there's Jeff Bridges in it and his character. There are just elements of... Uh, the dude. The Big Lebowski. Yeah. yeah, the dude. And I thought it was a brilliant effort by George Clooney as well. Yeah. Because it's actually based on a um, a non-fiction book by John Ronson, isn't it? Yeah. You know, with a bit of uh, theatrical uh, sort of... Licence. License, yeah, they've sort of uh, made it into a really funny movie. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's one where I think that's one we should have talk about at some point, Nath. So, add that to the list. Yeah. I've lost my list. My, my I have list. To start a new one. <laughs> I need to start writing one, if I'm honest. Yeah. The Men Who Stare at Goats. Because now we're choosing a film each, aren't we? So, yeah. 
you choose one. This is my choice this week, the Joker. Yeah. Uh, next week, it's your choice again. Yeah. The week after that, everyone, it's your choice to choose a film again. So get them in over on the Facebook page. There's a post pinned at the top. We need your choices for films. Get them in there and we'll pick one of them. And then the week after that, it's going to be another obscure film or weird film or a crap film. It's something in those categories. Yeah. But uh, do you want to ask me if I've watched a film this week? Yeah, I was going to get round to that. Trevor, have you, uh, <laughs> you watched any films this week? I watched two. Oh, have you? At the cinema. Oh, right, in a, all right. In a double bill. Show off. I know. And they haven't even come... The second one isn't even out yet. It's not even out at the cinema, but you watched it at the cinema. Today is the 1st of June. The film that I watched, it doesn't even come out until the 3rd of June. And it was A Quiet Place 2. It's basically a double bill. They've done A a Quiet Place and A Quiet Place 2. Yep. I'd never seen A Quiet Place. I almost watched it on Netflix, but I thought I didn't get around to it. Um, When I saw the double bill, I thought, well, I've got to support the cinema... I've, there hasn't been anything I've wanted to watch for ages, so let's go and watch that, see what it's like. Yeah, I've done a review for it already on this podcast. You can already download that. But at Quiet Place, fuck it, I'm not scary, but so tense. I was like tied up in knots watching it. Sounds uncomfortable. It's the fucking most tense, like end of a film ever. Right up until the very last moment, it's just it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it, and at the cinema just amazing yeah and then straight after that was the second one which i've never done a double bill like that at the cinema i really enjoyed it had a good night at the cinema cool so you can hear all about that experience on the podcast i don't just review the films and i don't spoil them as such not the second one anyway because it's so new but i sort of just done a podcast where i just described my experience at the cinema oh that's nice something different cool well, I look forward to hearing that. Shall we talk about the Joker? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Had you seen it before? I hadn't seen the film before. And you know what? There was a, there's a lad that I work with that was really excited about it coming out and he was really keen to see it. And I was like, well, you know, another DC film, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, you know, it's Whacking Phoenix. And I was like, right, okay, yeah, maybe it's worth a watch. But I, you see, the thing is, is I really enjoyed... And, you know, as we sort of touched upon earlier, uh, the Heath Ledger rendition of the Joker. Yeah. And uh, I was like, no, I don't know if anyone's going to top that for me. Yeah. But it's a very different film, isn't it? You oh, know? it's very different, yeah. And um, It really is his sort of origin story, isn't it? Yeah. He's not the Joker at this point, is he? No, that's it. And that's um, I think that's the brilliant thing about it, like, you know, because I, I personally have never dived that deep into the DC universe or the comics to sort of know much about the Joker or where he came from and how he came to be. So No, well, they've sort of... It, it, it's an open book, really. Although it's based on a few different things, um, the killing joke mainly. Right. Uh, nothing is written in concrete, you know? Right. So and they've just gone in a direction that they felt was interesting the the opening scene where he's uh sort of dancing around in the street dressed as a clown yeah spinning his little sign around it's you you immediately identify with the fact that anyone dancing around outside a store that's closing down in that outfit holding a sign you know that as far as jobs are concerned they're at the bottom end of the spectrum yeah so when he chases after that sign and gets absolutely beaten by those kids you really feel for him. It's a gut-wrenching sort of opening, like, you know, and then you really sort of, immediately, you start to like the character, don't you? Yeah, it's a strange one, because, I mean, he is just a clown for hire, isn't he? And it's it's his 
he wants to just make people laugh. That's what his mother tells him. You know, you're here to make people smile. Yeah. Um, which we find out is just really just a ruse for her to sort of cover over his condition and the truth behind it. Yeah. But it is strange how you sympathise with him. And I think you're not sympathise with him as a person as such, are you? Because it's, he's quite a vile and twisted person, but you sympathise with his... Situation. Yeah, his situation or, you know, the bracket that he falls into is like, you know, people who are overlooked. And this is sort of set back in time as well. So, I mean, you have a lot of talk about mental health and things these days. But back then, you know, it would have been overlooked and he couldn't get the support and he couldn't get the help, you know. And you get to see all this sort of sympathetic side of him and of his plight throughout the sort of opening scenes, didn't you? Yeah, it's another one of those films where I always refer to the Planet of the Apes scenario where I don't really know whose side i'm supposed to be on because go going into watching the film you know that he turns out to be the joker yeah you can't really get away from that but at the same time you wonder if things have played out differently in his life if people have been a bit more understanding and sympathetic to him would that have happened yeah well it's it's a great sort of deconstruction of any sort of you could look at any serial killer and they all have a sort of a similar history leading up to the point yeah if we if only we hadn't done this to him if only he hadn't been treated like that by his mother and there's there's very often a mother involved as well in creating a a serial killer and a psychopath is strange yeah but so there's a lot of like quite detailed analysis gone into it i think and quite detailed study from not just the writers but from Joaquin Phoenix as well to bring the character to life. There were so many things that he done throughout the film uh, as an actor that were just brilliant. Things that you think you know only someone of Joaquin Phoenix's level would be able to achieve it. He's unlike any other actor, isn't he? Yeah, he's quite unique. You know, even like De Niro and that was a great actor in his day. Um, he used to disappear in his roles and what have you, but not to the extent I don't think Joaquin Phoenix. I don't think anyone's. In my eyes, there's anyone to rival him. He's just really, he goes to some dark places and really explores the sort of inner torment of his characters. And and I think it really comes out in his physicality in this film because he's clearly lost a lot of weight for this role. I think he lost 55 pounds, I think he lost. Or did I make Jesus, that that's like... Um... That's like four stone. He lost, yeah, he lost three, three stone. stone. He lost over three stone. That's crazy. But yeah, and he's doing this thing where he's holding his left shoulder sort of down and forward, which gives him yeah, really hunched. Yeah, that almost like yeah, crooked. that hunched sort of appearance. It's like oh god, and like his his run as well. He galumps even when he hasn't got the clown boots on. He runs like he's wearing clown boots. Yeah, he, yeah, you know? yeah. He looks freakish in this, doesn't he? He's like pale and dour-faced and yeah, and just that, just the laugh that he's... Oh, my God, got. You know, yeah. the, the whole concept of the Joker laugh is just really interesting. That laugh just makes your ears stand on end, doesn't it? It properly cuts through you. Yeah, that scene on the bus where he's playing with the little boy doing the faces and then the mum tells him to stop and then he can't stop laughing. Yeah. It's agonising to watch, isn't it? He gives her the card, look, this is my condition, I don't mean to be laughing. And at that point there, I think, as I watched this at the cinema and I think at that point now, I was like, oh, this is 
you know, this is really interesting now. This is really going. I mean, the trailer set it up that it was going to go in this direction to an extent, but it wasn't till that point in the film. I was like, I sort of leaned forward and I, yeah, this, I can't wait to see this film unfold. Did you ever see the trailer, Nath? I don't think I did, mate, if I'm honest. No, I think I was going to the cinema quite a lot and it was coming on more and more. And I was, I was so psyched to watch it. I want, you know, I like you, Heath Ledger was the best Joker ever, in my opinion. When I look at the Jack Nicholson joke, you know, it's, it's not that far distanced from like Cesar Romero from the old 1950s, 60s Batman, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a bit more camp. But then when Jared Leto becomes the Joker in the Harley Quinn films, I can't think what they're called now. Oh, the uh, Suicide Squad. Yeah, I've had no interest to sit and watch them. If I'm no, honest. to be honest with you, his his rendition, there was nothing sinister. There was no, I don't know, it was just like an empty character. Yeah. I know he played a minor role in those films, but it just didn't, there was nothing, you know? It was, I think after Heath Ledger, anyone was going to be disappointing. Which is why, you know, I was a bit like, about this. But, you know, I think they picked the only man that could do it. Well, apparently, um, when it first came about as a concept, you read things where Warner Brothers were trying to get Scorsese to direct it. Right. And they wanted Leonardo DiCaprio as the Joker. Right. And although I like Leonardo DiCaprio, I do think he's a fantastic actor. I can't, I can't see him being as effective as the Joker. It's not in his range, I don't think. And, you know, now they got this new version of Batman coming out, aren't they, with uh, Robert Patterson? Yeah. And Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix have both said, my Joker is never going to meet that Batman. Right. That Batman might come face-to-face with the Joker, but it's not going to be ours. It's going to be a different Joker again. And I think this film, they really are, they they probably will do a sequel, because, I mean, it's that successful. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it's made Todd Phillips nearly a hundred million himself. You know, that's what he's took away from it. Bloody but hell! The film cost fifty-five million to make, and it's the the cheapest film to ever make a billion dollars. Wow, that's incredible, isn't it? It's it's also the only R-rated film ever to make a billion dollars. So there was a lot of hype around this, and quite rightly so. I mean, when they when it first had its premiere at the Venice Film Festival, yeah, I think it had like an eight minute stand innovation at the end of it. You know, superhero films just don't get that knife, do they? You know, no, no, they don't. It works on so many levels, doesn't it? And that's the thing; it's not. Although it's part of the DC universe, it's not a superhero film at all, is it? No, it's a proper thriller. Yeah, it's a real slow burner, but it's what you said the other night mesmerizing that was your words wasn't it yeah you you know there are there are some films where i'm watching them you know not not like for the channel but there are some films when i'm watching them and uh you know i'll pick the phone up i'll have a scroll through facebook or look at instagram and then i'm back in the film but this was this is was engaging on a whole nother level you weren't asking questions or wondering where things were going you were just fascinated yeah watching this character unfold because when when you see that opening scene, it was hard to believe for me that this poor, misunderstood, innocent man could be pushed far enough. You could see that, you know, he had an edge to him, but to be pushed far enough to sort of go to that, you know? Yeah, because he, he was a complete victim at the start of the film, isn't he? You see he's, he's downtrodden and, yeah. I don't know, he's just sort of like, his voice, everything about him is just sort of, 
weasley isn't it and like weak isn't it you know he's got that weak tone of voice and he can't take criticism and he he can't become one of the lads you know he's he struggles on every level of yeah. his life doesn't he and it, it actually made me think of um afterlife with ricky gervais right yeah but there's a scene where he's getting attacked or he's getting held up for his wallet by these two young lads. Yeah. They're threatening him with a knife or something. And he's got a can of baked beans or something. I can't remember what he's got, but basically he just tells these two young lads to get fucked and then beats one of them about the face with his can of baked beans and tells the other one to fuck off. Yeah. And then he goes back and tells his mate what happened. And his mate's like, Jesus Christ, what are you thinking? It's just like, honestly, I don't want to be here. I could quite happily take my own life. And it's like a superpower because I honestly don't give a fuck. It's liberating. I'll do what the hell I want. And if it gets too bad, I'll just kill myself because that's what I want anyway. Yeah. You know, and I think when you see uh, Whacking Phoenix's Joker get to the point where he's been pushed so far that he's sort of contemplating potentially taking his own life. Yeah. And then I thought to myself, well, maybe he's he's reached fuck it. Yeah, he's reached that point where he feels invincible and that's that's his superpower like you know because you think he's clearly contemplating suicide with that gun yeah but then yeah it's everything kicks off and he see his effect on society just through those the three murders of those wall street guys and how it's just torn the city apart yeah yeah he's at a point where he doesn't care but he's having this amazing effect He's got that control. You can see it, you know, becoming a megalomaniac like the Joker is. There's there's a scene where he's outside the hospital where his mum's in the hospital and she's had that stroke and the police come and speak to him. Yeah. And the way he speaks to the policeman then, that's that's the point that I noticed uh, through the first watch where I thought that's the point where he hit fuck it. Yeah. Does he know about his mother then? Does he know about the secret about his mother at that point? Had he found out then? He'd, he'd read the letter. Yeah, he had read the letter. That's right. And he thinks he's Thomas Wayne's son at that point. Yeah, I think he? at that point he'd already been to see Thomas Wayne and Thomas Wayne had punched him in the face and told him that his mother was mental. And I think after he sees his mother at the hospital, that's when that's he goes... That's when he goes to check yeah, the... Uh, to the asylum. Yeah. I think. There's a few points, isn't there, where he's he snaps and he overreacts. And a lot of it is... Joaquin Phoenix overreacting as well. I'm sure that I saw a documentary where they said that I think the little the the little uh, dwarf chap is that the word? Can I say that the small person? The small person. His uh, mate in there. He's interviewed and he said, you know, just watching him act is just incredible. And every take he does something completely different. And they said it's just like culminated in like the scene where he's been fired and he's clearing out his stuff and then he just walks out and then he's like oh i forgot to punch out and then he he punches the clocking out machine off of the wall yeah and i'm sure they said that was like whether the punch punching it off of the wall wasn't supposed to happen or whether that was just all thrown in you know but they just said it just took them all by surprise they all just literally stood in shock (laughs) he he smashes the thing off the wall well fair play to him for being able to do that when he was so skinny because Man, that must have hurt. It looked like it hurt. I mean, it's something that a lot of actors do, isn't it? Change their physicality. You know, De Niro's done it in Raging Bull, where he's skinny at the beginning and then fat at the end. And um, Yeah, he was like the first notable person to do it, wasn't I he? I think so, yeah. And then you've got Christian Bale, who's done it in um, The Machinist. 
which actually I've watched that again a while back and it's actually it's not that great a film I always remember being amazed by it but watching it again it's pretty shit film really it's pretty stupid and he's gone to all that trouble for a pretty shit film (laughs) (laughs) you know Um, Tom Hanks did it in uh, Castaway didn't he Castaway yeah they go to a lot don't they these actors you've got to give it to them yeah, you know, it's um, a lot of people devote a lot of time and effort in their day-to-day lives to try and change their physical appearance Yeah, and um, don't get anywhere near as far as these people do. <laughs> and they're just doing it flippantly, aren't they, here and there. And Oh, I want to lose weight for this next film. I'm going to put weight back on for this next film. <laughs> but then I suppose they've got trainers and doctors and yeah. physicians. I mean, and- don't, you know, it doesn't, don't take anything away from their efforts. I'm sure they've gone through a lot of effort to get there. But like you say, they have had expert help doing it. So we mentioned earlier, like the Scorsese connection and De Niro's in this. And you can't shy away from the fact that it is, you know, the subplot of this is basically King of Comedy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A real big nod to it, which I don't think detracts. And I don't think it, you know, is one of the things that intrigued me about the trailer. And I was like, oh, that looks like King of Comedy. And it's De Niro. And it's like, I don't know if you guys have seen the King of Comedy, but Robert De Niro plays a chap called Rupert Pupkin, who is like a real sad loner, lives at home with his mum, stalks uh, celebrities, who's Jerry Lewis in the film. But then he goes to some real lengths to try and get Jerry Lewis to notice him. And it's, it's very similar, you know, in so many ways, most notably... He imagines himself in conversation with Jerry, doesn't he? And on the show and things like that. But then there's a lot of that in this, isn't there? Like the very first scene where you see De Niro as, um, what's his name? Murray, Murray Franklin, Murray Franklin. Yeah. He imagines himself in the audience and then he goes, it's it's so cheesy. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he sort of, uh, he stands up and sort of, says his piece and sort of people laugh at him for living at home with his mum. And then uh, Murray Franklin sort of gets a bit defensive and then invites him down and then they share this embrace, don't they? And it's a yeah, bit like, it's like, I wish, you know, I wish my son was like you, <laughs> like everything that Arthur Fleck would want to hear, isn't it? Everything that he's yeah. never had the dad and never been, that's the thing he's missing all his life, isn't it? A father figure. And he's got a mum who's just obsessed with, Thomas Wayne and her old relationship or alleged relationship with Thomas Wayne. But then De Niro, he says, you know, don't laugh at him. You know, before I had my big break, I lived at home with my mum. Yeah. And that harks back to King of Comedy, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, almost blatantly, isn't it? Yeah. Because <laughs> I remember that one of my favourite scenes in that is where De Niro is, he's basically got cardboard cutout, cutouts in his room, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's interviewing all these cutouts and then his mum's like shouting, he's like, Mum! And she's like, what are you doing up there? And it's obviously Scorsese's mum. Setting this film in the past in Gotham City, but it's blatantly sort of New York of 1981, um, which was like a time in New York's history when they were just, they were just at the, the lowest low, really as a city there was rubbish on the streets there was sort of union striking left right and center a real class divide um and i think that's you can see why they've set it then but also like it looks like de niro's streets in 
taxi driver. Yeah. And even the, the music in this harks back to taxi driver with the, uh, it's like a sort of a, a repetitive sort of beating of a drum over in taxi driver. It's more horns. So, but I think in this, it's like cello music, but the the theme, the score in this film was amazing. Just really lent to the film completely. No, it's, you know, you, you often talk about the score and I, I, I think sort of, it only really stands out to me if it doesn't suit the film. It just blended. It doesn't fit. Yeah, it blended so seamlessly that it sort of didn't even. I don't know. I'd need to watch it a couple of times. I was so gripped in the storyline that like nothing else was going on in the world. Like it's almost like when I started watching it, it's almost like time stood still for the two hours, and then it's like, oh right, yeah, now it can go again. The, the music, by the way, is uh, Hilda something. <laughs> the, the fucking letters in her name aren't even letters, Nave. Hilda Guanadotia. Hilda Guanadotia. Hilda Guanadotia? <laughs> but the music by Hilda was... Uh, <laughs> no, I want to I wanna find a name now. You know, really complimented the film. But it was almost like another character. And it gave... It sort of breathed life into the city and it complimented his state of mind. Dotia. Eh? Guanadotia. Yeah, so... Um, Hilda... Guanadotia? Yeah, so uh, it's Icelandic, isn't it? So over there, she is the daughter of Guna, and then they always put daughter at the end of it, like um, Sigmund, Sigmund daughter, uh, or whatever. Like, there's a few CrossFitters, female CrossFitters that I follow that have got the same sort of formation of their name. Oh, right. Well, yeah. learn something, Nath. There you go. So, what were you saying? I was just saying it's good music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Done all right, did she? Done all right, old girl. She, uh, yeah, well done. Well done she won that. an Oscar for the music. Joaquin Phoenix won an Oscar for his role. Yeah, I don't think it won Best Director, did it? It is a ground. It is a great film. Groundbreaking to think that this is a it's a concept film, isn't it? From a from a superhero sort of background, but it just doesn't feel like you're watching that. Does no, it? it resonates in the back of your mind, but it's just so it's so not a superhero film. It's not like superhero action or anything. The violence in this is very realistic. And I think because it's it's not throughout that it's not violent throughout the whole film, when it does come about, it's really shocking, isn't it? Yeah, I think in place of the violence that you'd normally expect to see in a sort of DC superhero kind of style film, they've got the shocking sort of mental abuse journey that he's going on that sort of takes the stage doesn't it really and oh when he finds out the truth about what's happened with his mum because obviously he doesn't want to believe it in the first place and when thomas wayne punches him in the face oh my god i felt that punch it was so well done and it's like a double blow isn't it because he's gone through all of this effort to try and track down and stand in front of his own dad only to find out that it's like, nah, man, your mum's batshit crazy. You were, you were adopted and um, your mum was committed. And uh, so he's he's been hit in the face with that. And then all of a sudden he gets an actual hit in the face. Uh, like this weird random stranger that's just punched him in the face has been more honest with him than his mum has ever been able to. It's funny how they sort of paint Thomas Wayne as this person who's trying to uh, save the city. He's saying he wants to save the city, doesn't he? But he's very unsympathetic to the plight of 
those, you know, there is that sort of out of touch in his in his language, you know, um, yeah. the things he's saying. He is very out of touch. And you do, you know, you always think of Thomas Wayne as the victim in all this. You know, he's murdered to create Batman. You always see it from that side, but you don't see, you know, why would he have been murdered? And I think that's an interesting sort of look at that as well, how they've created this whole environment it's not even the joker that kills him you know in in the tim burton film it was wasn't it yeah and i think in other comic books and what have you it has been as well but they create an environment that kills him you know and it's all from this sort of rundown city that's waiting for something to happen and that something just happens to be yeah arthur fleck yeah he's and killing those three lads on the train he's in that that um clown outfit and that's like the catalyst for the movement isn't it yeah yeah killer clown on the loose and even the comedy store where he goes he, uh it's called pogo's comedy store and pogo was the name of the serial killer john wayne gacy's clown right he, he he used to dress up as a clown and do like children's parties and go to children's hospitals and things and they sort of wink to that in this film as well at the comedy club. But, you know, I didn't know that. I was unaware of that. So that's, that's, um, there's so many layers that can be peeled back that sort of, uh, surprise you, you know, it's such an in-depth film, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, even the makeup in like the, the Joker has very sharp, pointy sort of makeup and John Wayne Gacy's clown had points and he was always sort of criticized in the clown community. I don't know if that's a, true thing but apparently clowns should have soft shapes and there shouldn't be any points and and i think they've used the similar thing on the joker here to sort of sort of punctuate the violence underneath really that moment when he stands up on the car and then he uses his fingers with the blood in his mouth yeah to draw that smile oh my god he looks so sinister it's horrible but brilliant at the same time yeah and it completely echoes like the opening scene doesn't it yeah and it's like the first it's the first time he really smiles you know at the beginning he's forcing a smile isn't it yeah you know and then at the end that's that's a real heartfelt smile look what i've done look what i can do it's uh it's quite dark they're saying about those three types of laughter that um joaquin phoenix uses in this film as well right the affliction laugh the one of the guys laugh, and then one laugh that he uses at the very end, which is authentic joy laugh. Yeah. And you see him go through all those motions. And, I mean, when he's one of the guys laugh, it's, it's horrible because it's just so – it's like he doesn't know when to laugh, isn't it? Yeah. And he uses it in the in the comedy club when he's watching that comedian. And he laughs at all the off lines, you know? Yeah, yeah. The audience laugh at the punch lines and – certain points and he's always laughing in between and it's like he doesn't know when to laugh isn't it and it just it adds to that um effect that he's a failed comedian because it's just like he just doesn't understand comedy <laughs> like he's no he's, that's it but it adds to the effect that he's a failed human he doesn't understand what they're laughing at either does he you know? yeah he doesn't understand anything i wonder i wonder if he ever got Kicked out of a comedy club for laughing too much. <laughs> what? Is that ever up to you, Dave? 
Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was oh, weird. Dear. I was on a, on a mate's, on a mate's <laughs> stag do, actually, yeah. And, uh... <laughs> oh, dear. It wasn't the only place you got kicked out of that night, was I it? I know, but it was, it was the <laughs> fucking the irony of it. It was the funniest yeah. one. So what the... Can you look it out, please? Why? You're laughing too much. It's a good thing, isn't it? In all honesty, though, we wasn't laughing at the comedian, <laughs> was we? He's having our own conversations. <laughs> oh, dear. What a random night. Anyway, back to the topic at hand. That whole train scene. So he's got the gun on him, but you don't see the gun come out, do you? And he's on the train, and those three lads are being really horrible to that girl. And then Arthur starts laughing. He doesn't mean to. He's got the affliction, obviously. And then it draws the attention away from the girl and she gets off the train and they're all over him. Then they swarm him, don't they? Yeah. And then when he gets punched and then they're all kicking him on the floor, you don't even see him draw the gun. You just see one of the lads just, like, the back of his head pops off and he's, like, there's blood up the roof of the train and he's really shocking moment. You know something's going to happen, but you don't see it coming do you at that point no the lights are flashing on and off aren't they and you're getting these faces and sort of this real sinister sort of um scene unfolds where it's all sort of you can't really tell what's going on and then all of a sudden like you say there's like this flash of light and the bang and then matey boy's head just explodes and then then oh my god it's just savage i think there was um i counted seven shots right and it was only a six 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 shot gun but Whatever, I'm probably wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't count it myself. But he's earlier on as well, isn't it? When he's f- playing with the gun, it's almost like a the taxi driver moment, isn't it? Where De Niro's got the gun. You talking to me? You talking to yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what he says, but he's sort of points the gun off, doesn't he? And oh, it wasn't me. It was him. And then shoots through his house wall. <laughs> and it's just the way he drops the gun, and it's so fidgety. It's just fantastic, isn't he? He's, yeah, he's just. <laughs> Terrif- terrified of it and then he, he turns the tv volume right up and then he's over like really examining the bullet hole and then he's he's like angry with himself as well isn't he and yeah sort of starts shouting at his mum he's just and also when he drops the gun in the in the hospital as well when he's doing that dance of the kids and then he goes to pick it up and kicks it off of his shoe it's just perfect clumsiness and then he gets it and he puts it away and he's like standing as if it's part of the act oh you wasn't supposed to see that (laughs) it's just yeah man honestly it was just an all-star performance all round. and i gotta be honest with you i was totally sold on him getting with the girl next door I was totally sold on it. I did not see that coming. I could not for the life of me work out what was going on when he was in her flat and she was kicking off and telling him to get out. And then it, you know, when it obviously... It dawned Yeah, when they, when they show and it's just like she wasn't there, it was imagining it. I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. That's when you sort of start to realise... How far gone he is. Yeah, how warped he is. Like when she comes to the door and was like, were you following me today? And then sort of... He makes her laugh and then says, oh, I'm, I'm doing some stand-up. I'm a stand-up comedian. You should come see me sometime. And then when he closes the door and you see the horrendous trousers that he's wearing, I was just like, nah, no woman that's been <laughs> stalked would come and, and do that. But 
the thing that sold it for me is the fact that she seemed to be so good for him. Yeah. Even though you know where the film's heading, there's still there was still that glimmer of hope in me that it's like, oh, you know, he can come back from this, he can come back from this. And uh yeah, I was just totally bought on it. You know, I was just like, yeah, oh, it does give that false hope. And then there was nothing there. It was, yeah. And how frightening that must have been for her to come in and he stood in there like, you know, she's got a child in bed and yeah. just that weird bloke down the hall is sat in your room, in your house. I think that sort of when you see the scenes with him and her and uh, you think, oh, you know, this is going well, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, in my head, I was like, oh, you know, he's going to lose her in some way and that's what's going to send him over the edge. But I guess he does kind of lose her in some way when... He realises. That he's imagined it, yeah. Yeah. But you almost think when they're showing the clips on the telly at first, I was like, oh, is he watching this on the show? And, and then it's like, this isn't his imagination because they are completely fucking taking the piss out of his stand-up act. Yeah, yeah, The tapes yeah. played on the Murray Franklin show. Yeah, because when, when he does his stand-up, they never allude to how badly he tanked. No. You you see that just that like silhouette of the outside of the girl's face and you see her laughing and you think that maybe they leave it to you to think about it, but that maybe his act picked up once he got comfortable after. Yeah, because it goes, it all goes quiet, doesn't it? You can't even hear what he's saying, can you? No. The sound sort of fades out. You see him carrying on. It looks like he's picked up and he's gone. Yeah, it, yeah, it? yeah. So you think, oh, well, maybe that, maybe that took off. But I just, another detail in, in the whole film that I love is that notebook of his that he carries around. Oh, yeah, weird. Yeah, it's great. Real dark, isn't it? And when he's like uh, trying to find the joke to read on the stage and he turns it around, it's like a a torso of a, like a naked <laughs> woman, isn't it? Like, yeah, he's not right. But that joke, joke in there that I hope... Um, I hope my life, my death makes more sense in my life or something. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I... I just that resonated with me. I thought that was you know really clever, and I, you, they show it you several times, didn't they? Yeah, you know, and they it's in darker writing to keep bringing your eyes back to it. Yeah, which adds to the to the whole suicidal thought line that he's going down, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's sort of what he thinks at the end, isn't it? It's like he sees that, and you think is that what makes him decide not to kill himself when he's sat live on telly. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, hang on. If I kill myself, I've just died. But what can I do to make my life have more meaning, isn't it? Yeah. Like you say, he's finally emboldened to take control of his own life. And and he seems, in comparison to times where you've seen him when he get first gets up on stage and, you know, he can't control his laughter to be able to get his first joke out, he seems so cool and calm. Oh, he's yeah, completely composed and it all comes about from that that one scene doesn't it where he's just killed the people and he runs back to he's killed the three lads and he runs back home and he bursts into the room locks himself in and then he he starts that dance it represents the joker emerging from within him yeah starting to like so he's very like a lot of dancing the Joker does a lot of dancing in this, doesn't he? Dancing down the steps. Oh, I love that scene when he dances yeah. down the steps. It was just brilliant. Yeah, and then he comes dancing on the stage and he's so confident. He's more confident than he was because he was practicing his entrance, wasn't he? Yeah. He's just copying that other bloke. 
And you was expecting him to do that, but he doesn't. He's just got the dancing going off and the most confident he's been all film. But that dance scene, the initial dance scene when he comes back, in the script, it was he comes home and he hides the gun. And then on the day they were filming, the director, Todd Phillips, was like, called Joaquin over and said, look, do you think he'd hide a gun? Why would he hide the gun? Does he care about consequences, really? And then uh, he said, let's try something. And he'd just been given that piece of music the night before yeah. from the uh, Hilda, who's doing the uh, music. And he played it for Joaquin Phoenix and just filmed him, just sort of start this like dancing and just how late, letting the mu- music sort of move him. Yeah. And then that becomes like a big theme in the film and one of the most important scenes in the film, you know? Yeah, yeah. And all that was in the script was he hides the gun. You know, and that doesn't even happen. They was very flexible with how they made the film. There was a lot of ad-libbing, just letting Joaquin Phoenix do what he wants. Todd Phillips was throwing new ideas and new shots. They were saying that people would come prepared for a scene, all the other actors, and then they'd just be like, no, we're doing this now. <laughs> just <laughs> changed everything as they went. Which, you know, the other actor said it, it could be frustrating, but at the same time, it's like they could see something was happening. It was like the film was making itself yeah. once they'd started. But there, there are scenes that seem so organic, like they aren't, you know, and that's what comes from being unscripted, isn't it? His performance just feels organic. It doesn't feel like it's come off a page, no. does it? I know we keep blowing his horn, but fuck me, you know, it is just brilliant. It is one of my favourite performances I've seen in a film, I think. Like that scene where he's just trying to stretch his shoes. Yeah, yeah. And you're just watching from behind. He's all oh my God. twisted and contorted and his spine sticking out. And his elbows seem to be coming out. At, like, it don't seem like they're in the right place, do they? Yeah, you know? he literally, he looks like somehow he managed to grow an actual hunch. Yeah. You know? And all you can hear is that grinding. And you're thinking, what the hell is going on? And it's like him stretching the boots. Such a great yeah, shot. Yeah, man. The lighting in that scene was brilliant, just to show as much as they could of, of the awkwardness of his whole body. You know? Yeah. Well, the cinematography in the whole film was fantastic. It was a quite sort of neutral palette, wasn't it? And like horrible neon colours, but they was like pale. They wasn't overly bright, was they? And it, yeah, it almost had that of, 70s cinema film to yeah, it. It was very unsaturated, wasn't it? Yeah. Like this, some of the shots, like the shot where he's on the bus and the bus is travelling and he's leant against the window and he's in focus and the bus is in focus and sort of like the focus sort of begins to blur as it goes out. But those colours are so just eye-watering. They made him look so lifeless Yeah, through everything. And the only time you see any colour in him is when he's got the makeup on as a clown, isn't it? Yeah, he is a grey character, isn't he? I really liked as well uh, the 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 final scene um, where he's he's in the I guess he's in the asylum, is he? Yeah, and he's yeah. he's laughing away again, and uh, the woman's like, "Oh, what, what are you laughing about?" No, it's just a joke, and she's like, "Oh, what, what's the joke?" And it's just, "Oh, you wouldn't get it," and then it just cuts out, and then you just see him dancing down the corridor. And uh, the f- the footprints, it's just like, oh. Yeah. Oh. What's he done now? What's he, <laughs> and what's you see him done? run one way and then run back the other and you see all the wardens just chasing him across. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. And I think it's wonderful that 
it was done in that way because it just goes on to prove that this film isn't about the violence, the actual violence. It's about yeah. what's implied by it all, you know? And, um, yeah, it's just a brilliant little touch. Didn't need over-explaining. It's, it's there. You can work it out, you know? And, uh, yeah, I love a little touch like that. Yeah, a lot of little touches in this um, and a lot of sort of callbacks to the old cartoons and the comics and what have you. Uh, most notably, the moment when Thomas Wayne dies he comes out of the cinema yeah and in sort of batman history whenever thomas wayne comes out he's watching uh, uh zorro the mask of zorro yeah and in this one and i don't know if this was a happy coincidence because he said he wanted to set it in 1981 specifically because of you know what state new york was in at that time yeah but when he comes out of the cinema they're playing zorro the gay blade which actually came out in 1981 right and it's playing back to back with blowout and those films did actually play together at that time. So they still managed to get the Zorro moment in there. And you sort of, as I'm watching the film, you see them coming out and I notice Zorro on the cinema and you're like, right, this is where Thomas Wayne's going to get it. And Bruce, who we've already met earlier on, yeah, is going to witness his parents dying. I mean, that's a creepy scene as well isn't it where yeah he's a creepy character just the way he stalks people isn't it it's like when he is stalking that girl it's like you're just like oh what are you doing so you do feel sympathetic towards him but at the same time you don't you're always you you'd like to keep him at arm's length you wouldn't want him in your house would you no no you wouldn't you wouldn't tell him where you live no and you'd hope he wouldn't follow you find out Yeah, and just when he's trying to make, he's pushing little Bruce Wayne's smile up, and then Alfred comes out and yeah confronts him. Yeah, and uh, you know he's he's going for a routine, uh, and he's like you know he's he's an entertainer. He's trying to entertain, and that's the thing. And it's just like the intention. You think the heart's in the right place, but you just don't understand people in the world to know what's right and what's wrong enough to be able to get it exactly right. No, you know? he can't read anything, can he? He can't read anyone or anything, any situation. He's just got this real sort of strange conception of in his mind of how the world is. And he can see it's a bad place, and it is a bad place, but he's he thinks people will see him as this, you know, as not a bad character. Like, when he's face-to-face with Thomas Wayne, and he's he thinks he's going to come out of there having sort of rekindled with his dad, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's totally He's completely, yeah, he's completely out of his head. Um, we haven't talked about the scene where his friend comes around. What's his friend called with the oh, with the gun? Yeah. Randall. Randall, yeah. Yeah, where Randall and the, the small chap come around to visit him. And I mean, it's, you want that, blo- you feel like, that bloke's an arsehole. You you want him to get his comeuppance, but yeah, my god, it's it's quite brutal, isn't it? And the little guy's just shitting himself, you know, because Randall comes, he barges in, and he's like, "Oh, we've come around. We heard about your mother," which he's so like, ah, oh, he feels really good about it anyway, and he tells them that, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm celebrating. Yeah. My mother died, and then that Randall, there's not even been a beat, and he's like, "Oh, I hear the police have been talking to you, and you sent them. What did you tell? You know, he's just worried about himself and this." his link to the gun that's been used to kill these three lads on the train. He doesn't really care about Arthur at all. And, he, you know, he's given Arthur this gun and then completely washed his hands of it. And then he dropped him in it as well, didn't he? 
at work. Oh, yeah, saying that he'd come after him, asking if he could get hold of a a magnum or some other gun, yeah. didn't he? So, yeah, when he gets his comeuppance, it's a sort of a... It's a bittersweet, isn't it? It's a very it? bittersweet moment, isn't it? Because you want him to get his comeuppance, but with a pair of scissors like that, it's just like... Ugh. And then you really feel for the little fella, and he's, like, whimpering in the corner, and you think, is he going to get it as well? And then after, like, you're the only one who's good to me, and then, go on, you can go. And he can't reach the door lock. Uh, <laughs> it's so... <laughs> But you think you start thinking to yourself, has he done that on purpose? Yeah, exactly, yeah. You, you know do, that, you think- that was going from my head. It's like, oh, you've tried to give him that glimmer of hope, and now you're going to brutally murder him too. I was actually shocked uh, when he actually let him yeah. go. The, the film just keeps you guessing all the way through, doesn't it? Yeah, you can't read him, can you? You can't read what's coming next, and you can't, like he can't read what's coming next either i shouldn't think can he? he's that volatile he has no control over his actions half the time does no he? and that's the thing like there's so many sort of misleads and red herrings so to speak and uh anti-climaxes you know where you think something's good like when when he sat on the couch with de niro um and you know he's practiced sort of pulling the gun out on his coat on his sofa and he reaches into yeah. his back pocket and he pulls something out. Oh, here comes the gun. And it's like, Oh, it's his notebook with his jokes in. Oh, for fuck. Yeah. You know? And then when the gun does come out, you don't see it at all. No. Yeah. It's brilliant. Just, yeah. Wonderful. How it's all come together like that, you know, and they've, they've kept it up so well throughout the whole film. It's a film full of anti-heroes, isn't it? He is the biggest anti-hero, but then you've got De Niro's character is sort of revered. And at the beginning, he looks up to him. But then you see that he's just, he'd quite happily just ridicule Arthur on the telly, wouldn't he? You know, by using his thing. And he invites him on basically just to take the piss out of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he doesn't even get the chance because he admits to the murders straight away. Yeah. And then it becomes a whole different interview. You do, you start thinking, you know, De Niro, you are a bastard. You know, you are a hypocrite. Yeah. You're all fucking hypocrites. And you you feel that divide between the classes in this town. And I mean, my wife, she doesn't like violence. She's not into violent films. But when she watched The Joker with me, the second time I watched it, yeah, and he says, you get what you fucking deserve, doesn't he? And then shoots De Niro through the head. Oh. Donna laughed. <laughs> she actually laughed out loud like it was the punchline to The Joker. <laughs> and I was like, Don? <laughs> Whoa, you know? She's like, yeah, that's weird. She physically laughed out loud. Strange. Strange what it done. And I think that's why there was so much of an uproar when it first came out and people were like, oh, you can't release this, not now, because society is divided at the moment, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. You know? It's not necessarily the rich and the poor, is it? It's just a strange place the world over at the moment. People thought this was like a red flag. People might watch this film and be like picking up the mantle of the Joker and, you know. Yeah, it's... Um... It's an extreme film and, you know, you don't want to encourage extremism. But at the same time, I think this is definitely what the DC universe needed. Yeah, it's almost back to Christopher Nolan's vision was so much more realistic, even though it wasn't. When you compared to this, it's not. But it was a darker, more realistic sort of dark night, wasn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think with the Man of Steel and that, it's they've tried to make it dark, but it's just dull. Yeah, it's just I, th- I think um, they've missed it. Yeah, somewhere. the Dark Knight and um, is it Batman Begins and then the Dark Knight? The Dark Knight was just really. Yeah. That's where we meet um, Heath Ledger's Joker, isn't it? And yeah. oh yeah. my god, as a character in a film, like he was so nasty and the whole thing he had going on with his mouth was just, oh, it was vile. Because I remember seeing, uh, I think it was Empire magazine, and they had the first images of the Joker on the cover. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God, that I want to see, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same when I first saw the trailer of this Joker, I was like, oh, my God, you know? (laughs) I really want to see this. No, just literally on IMBD, I'm just looking at one image which is like your fully transitioned uh, whacking Phoenix Arthur Fleck Joker, you know, where he's got that suit on and he's got the makeup on and the green hair. And it's, I don't know, I don't know if it's shot in like a elevator or something, but the lighting is like casting some deep shadow on his face. And it's just, ah, oh, so sinister. Yeah. And he does, he gets to that, you know, he is the Joker by the end, isn't he? And that suit, once he's got that suit on, he is. You recognise him as the Joker, don't you? Yeah, yeah. The suit and the waistcoat. It's a brilliant outfit as well. And it does. His his whole physicality changes completely once he's in that suit, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. When he's uh, when he's dancing down that set of stairs, when he's outside, he doesn't seem trapped in this frail, contorted body anymore, does he? You know? No. Like you, he's he's got that completely liberated, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then once he's chased by the police and then he's in amongst all those clown faces and he's sort of in awe of it. That's there for me. Yeah. Yeah. This is me. This is, I've done this. That clown face represents me by then. He's, he is that confident megalomaniac starting to show. And it is the transition throughout the film has been slow burner, but you completely buy it. Don't you? By that point. Oh God. Yeah. Um, do you know who else played the Joker? Did you used to watch the uh, the animated series of Batman? Uh, I've seen some of it. Uh, do you know who the Joker was in that? No. Nope. Mark Hamill. No way. Yeah, Luke Skywalker. And I think in later episodes as well, different spin-offs. I don't know if he was the Joker in um, the Lego Batman film. No, no, that was Zack something. I've got to be honest with you, Trev. Lego Batman is one of my favourite Batman films. Yeah. Yeah, I fucking love it. It's brilliant. Yeah, I've watched it several times with uh, Cohen. Nathan. Trevor. It's been ever so good talking about Joker. It's good to watch a decent film after last week's uh, superhero movie. Oh, yeah. You know what? I'm so glad that we've got that done and out of the way. (laughs) The, The one thing that I will say that this film has done for me is it has made me want to go back and watch some more um whacking phoenix films yes well we've watched one that we haven't reviewed yet haven't we nafe we watched it and then yeah. we didn't meet up that week i think we need to get that done yeah because i'd like to see that yeah, again we do need to get that done but next week your your choice of film and then the week after that everyone is back to you lot to choose so yeah please once you've listened to this podcast go on over to we need to talk about movies podcast at facebook and find our pinned post and give us some suggestions we'll be greatly appreciated and we'll see you all again next week everyone for more movie talk 
Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.